Good evening, church. How are we doing? Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Kim. I am Pastor John and Pastor Kerry's daughter. So yes, I am the PK of the church. Um, I am so blessed to be the youth slash young adults leader. And I am so honored to be here sharing tonight. And I want to thank you all for giving me this time to hopefully speak something fresh into your life today. Because honestly, I'm only here because God told me to speak. So I must open my mouth and speak because I will be and I must be obedient to my father, author and creator. And so I want to ask you all tonight, friends, are we living victoriously? What is victorious Christian living? You know that there are so many amazing resources out there right now that can help us achieve this idyllic, victorious Christian living. But sometimes this term has been misused and condensed into being a goal that we have to strive towards. It's been turned into a step-by-step, do-it-yourself guide to attaining spiritual perfectionism Whereas true victorious living is the position that we are already seated in, bought by the blood of the perfect spotless lamb and only made possible with the partnering of God through the daily infilling of the Holy Spirit. This evening, God wants me to share about an aspect of victorious living that I believe really needs to make a comeback into our churches and into our lives and that is the reverence of God. Reverence is the profound, adoring, awed respect for God. I love this definition. Now we can see that reverence for God has long disappeared in our society and from our society. People are quick to take offense to comments on race, religion, gender, and sexuality, but are equally as quick to slander God's name, God's children, character, and standard. When reverence is removed from God in the fabric of society, it will be turned somewhere else instead. When nations stop revering God, we see the ensuing disintegration of society, of its morals and values. And people cannot distinguish between what are lies and absolute truths anymore. Like Pastor John said in his message two weeks ago, in 1 Kings 18, verse 21, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? People cannot make their mind up on what is truth. And it's really hard because they keep pushing different standards on what is right and wrong unto us. It has gotten to the point that even non-believers are fed up. I see comments on social media from non-believers that look around and have given up on the state of the world. And even they say, Jesus has to be around the corner by now. 
we can't do it. We can't save the world without Jesus now. So we could easily dismiss this and say, yeah, yeah, that's true and all, but it's for those unsaved. They're the ones doing that. But as his remnant, we cannot afford to be apathetic. What about our lives? Have we examined areas of our lives that perhaps we are not keeping as sacred as we should be? Are there places where we haven't reserved the highest seat for the Most High, where we haven't enthroned him yet? When the church stops revering God, it adopts worldly characteristics. Services become about entertainment and show business and keeping relevant to trends and pop culture. We have downgraded the importance of scripture. We are distracted during God's time. We don't meditate on his word and we have reduced Jesus to being our buddy buddy. Yes, he is our friend our bridegroom, he is the lover of my soul, he is the calming waters, but he is also judge, he is king, and he is a jealous and avenging God, and his fire is scorching, above all he is holy and mighty to be praised. Isaiah 2 verse 17 reminds us of his majesty. The loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. When the church stops revering God, it becomes all about me. It becomes insular. Listen to me. Listen to my problems. Fix me. Bless me. It becomes about manifesting solutions to our material and emotional needs instead of manifesting God's presence and power which is the place where every need is met anyway. Now, when was the last time we stopped thinking about ourselves and blessed someone else in need instead? I'm speaking to myself too. Now, it used to be a standard that Sunday was reserved for God and going to church, am I right? Especially you know, in Australia, in Western societies. Now, you're free to stand on whatever you think whatever theology, whether you think going to church is optional or not, to me, there's no question about it. You come to church purely to grow. I know that we lead very busy lives and we all have responsibilities that need to be met. But I want to share with you this very famous story that perhaps you have heard before. So many of us, especially, sorry to point you out, the oldies, would have watched the film Chariots of Fire, right? Who's, who's watched it? <laughs> About the athlete, Eric Liddell. Eric was scheduled to run the 100-meter track at the Olympics in 1924, in which he was highly favored to win. You know, that is an amazing achievement. However, since it was taking place on a Sunday, he refused to participate in it, as he believed that the day was purely reserved for God, according to his Vatican beliefs. When I heard of this story when I was young, it really convicted me and challenged me. If I really profess and say that I have nothing if not for God, 
when I am placed in a similar situation, would my character and convictions be able to stand up to this standard? What about the believers in the Bible who persevered, who fought, who were tortured and died for us to even be able to gather together freely like this? A lot of what we've learned over this year and last year is centered on the early church in Acts and how they moved in power, presence, and purpose. Got that mixed up. Presence, purpose, and power. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, says this about these new believers. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In contrast, how many times have I been too busy for God? If God is truly the highest in our lives, if we say we want to persevere, we want to become like the church in Acts, and we want to have revival in this nation, and they met daily to break bread with one another and to care for one another, every need was met. Why haven't I seen certain faces in church consistently for the past few months? And when we don't see our brothers and sisters, do we reach out to check up on them? Why aren't you here? What can I do for you? How can I counsel you? Why is it when I look around, I see the same people doing the same jobs? Bless you, you faithful ones. Come on, young people, why do I sometimes see Sylvia still do the words for the lyrics for the computer? Like, you know, can't we even be bothered to be entrusted to the simplest things? Can't we honor one another? Aren't we all different parts of one body? So shouldn't we work together and help each other? Even Jesus came as a bond servant to serve. Like I said, everyone has their own circumstances and there's absolutely no judgment. I'm just trying to make you think a little. Now, reverence is, once again, profound, adoring, awed respect for God. And now I especially want to focus on this concept of awe. Awe is this accumulation of the sense of wonder, fear, and even dread. It's not something that can be taught. It can only be experienced through relationship with Christ. So reverence is completely different from religion. So get that straight. Religion is modifying our behavior so we seem righteous on the outside. 
but true righteousness and reverence and awe can only be inspired by the Holy Spirit. So um, we have recently started our young adults group. I'm going to take every opportunity to spruik it. Um, and we are doing a session study on identity and what and how God has defined our identity. And it has really blessed me. I'm still learning even though, you know, I'm leading. And we are learning that our identity is based on knowing who God is as our creator and who we are as his creation. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. It is fact. But as we are reading Genesis, I'm getting the head knowledge. I've read it so many times, you know. But I'm not receiving the revelation of the gravity, of the meaning between creator and creation. And so I'm praying, God, I need that revelation of your awe. So when God created the earth, the previous five days and the sixth day, God spoke and it was done. God spoke and there was light. God spoke there was you know, sea creatures, birds of the air, and it was done. But in Genesis 2 verse 7 it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And Genesis 2 verse 22 says, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. God took the time to mold me, design me, and fashion me into his own image. What does that mean? If God is our creator and we are his creation, that means we are under his authority. We learn this in youth. If you create a piece of art, if you create a piece of music, you are the author and you get to decide what it is, where it goes, what notes to play, you know? It's all the creator's decision. This means, as creation, you need to accept some truths about yourself. You need to see yourself as how he sees you. If he said that he has plans and purposes for you for good and not harm, you have to honor him and believe it. So that means no more speaking curses over yourself. Words wield so much power that we don't even realize. I'm a very, very introverted and shy person. So I used to always say, I have social anxiety. I have social anxiety. I can't talk to this person, talk to that person. But he has made me a youth leader and he told me, cast your net. So. I need to believe that, I need to cancel it, and I cancel that. No more saying that I have anxiety. No more saying I have social anxiety. No more saying I cannot relate to people, and you know what? It's been really good, and I've been really blessed to get to know people without putting a mask on, you know, and just being transparent and real with people. Yes, thank you, Isaiah. <laughs> Victorious living means no more walking around in circles. And Luke spoke about it this morning, so I believe this is confirmation for people. No more being delivered, set free, than coming back into agreement with the lies of the enemy. No more coming back 
into cycles of bondage. Let's stand and honor the word of the Lord. You know, when he says that he has bought us the price of his blood. When reverence is removed from God, it is turned somewhere else, right? This is where we see idolatry occur very commonly. Reverence means that you do not compromise. We are the remnant bride. We cannot compromise God's standards anymore. Let us examine the areas of our lives. In Joshua 24 verse 14, says, now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that the cry of your heart? As for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. No more double-mindedness. Choose one or the other. He said, choose one or the other. You can't be in the middle. Are we leading our families in the ways of the Lord? Are we setting a godly example for our children to follow, for our grandchildren to follow? Are our marriages built on his foundation? Now, do we seek wisdom for our relationships? Do we seek wisdom before we get into a relationship? How about this? What about our tithes? Are we being faithful? Are we honoring God with our tithes? What about what we are consuming with our eyes and ears? There's really no space for compromise. I really enjoy listening to all types of music. And honestly, even as a believer, I used to listen to songs with not only the most awful lyrics, but also music that had dark and demonic undertones. And I wasn't honoring God because I ignored the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit telling me that it's not right. And you know, songs are catchy and it gets stuck in your head. And you're singing that, but you're coming into agreement with what those lyrics say. I, yes, I wasn't honoring God, but as I am maturing in my relationship with Jesus, and as I step into more roles of leadership, the fear of the Lord has also consequently developed and increased in me. And I urge you, if you have a position of leadership, don't go where your character can't sustain you. Because he is a consuming fire and his holiness will consume you. Because just as light has no affinity whatsoever with darkness, so it goes that God's presence has no room for any impurity. And I do not want to be found lacking in the midst of his fire. And you know that song, Refiner's Fire by Maverick City? It's an amazing but dangerous song. 
Chandler Moore himself stated that it's a dangerous and costly prayer. Are we taking worship seriously, that seriously? What are we singing? What are we praying? The lyrics go, I want to be tried by fire, purified. You take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. And honestly, I'm scared to sing this song. In Psalm 2.11, it says, Worship the Lord reverence and rejoice with trembling. So we can see that worship and praise and awe go hand in hand. And it inspires the fear of the Lord in me. Because like Paul said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And we sing and profess that to be consumed by him is our desire. He'll hold you accountable to it. Who here has experienced that? I'll share with you. I have struggled with being quick to anger. And my daily prayer is, Jesus, God, help me because you told me I have to turn the other cheek. I have to forgive people 77 times. And I knew that it was important, especially because I didn't want to enter my marriage with this baggage and this anger because I want to respect my husband as God has called me to. And you know what? When you ask God for something to change you, he'll send you you through the trials. Every day I have my patience tested by people, by customers at work. But, you know, I can honestly testify and say that I'm getting better. I have to ask Davey, am I getting better? (laughs) Now, lastly, when reverence for God is removed from the church, repentance ceases. Speaking about sin and repentance becomes scarce, maybe even taboo. So I want to publicly repent in front of you. I have not held God in as high reverence as I should have. I have placed other idols in front of him. I placed my wedding, planning for my wedding. I placed my job. I placed even my addiction to my phone in front of him, higher than him. I didn't make time for him. Those things were idols in my life. So I ask you, Lord, forgive me, Jesus, and set my path right from now on. I want to live daily being tried by your fire. He is righteous and he is holy. And reverence means no compromise. The world will tell you that you cannot ever truly get free of your strongholds. That you'll always struggle. That you're always going to get a degree of freedom but you always have a little struggle with it, whatever you're struggling with, whatever flaws you have, whatever chains you have. But I want to testify that God has the power to break things off you forever. 
So when I was younger, I used to have a massive problem with lying. And it wasn't of even lying over small things. I mean, over big things. It was anything lying over small things, like where I was going or what I was doing, white lies, whatever, because it was a stronghold. And accompanied with that, I also lusted for money. I had a massive spirit of mammon on me, and those two things went hand in hand. And eventually it manifested physically on my eyes. My eyes were fixated on money, so guess what? I developed eczema there, and it just would not go away. And I was stealing money from my parents. And you know, when you're doing it, you think you can get away with it forever, but you can't. You're going to be exposed one day. And when my parents lovingly confronted me about my issues, they didn't even say what it was. I just knew. I think I was waiting, you know, to be confronted so that I could finally be free. I straight away I broke down. I was gracefully broken. I repented, and I was set set free straight away. And let me tell you, I have never had a problem with lying or lusting over money ever since. I'm not saying that. Maybe I do lie. Like I don't know. I can't think about. It. When was the last time? But it's not a stronghold anymore. There is freedom when you come to Jesus and you just humble yourself and get rid of your pride and say, Jesus, I honor you. Come, help me. When we don't have full reverence for God and we cannot just live in the light because as Paul said, what relationship does light have with darkness? I still struggle with being in the world and being part of the world but not being of this world, you know? And there's this thing called destination addiction. It's the idea that happiness is in the next place, it's in the next job, or even with the next partner. It's the idea that God, if I get to this place, I can serve you better, I can reach all these people better, then then I'll be ready you know, to serve you mightily. But unless you give up the idea that happiness and contentment cannot be found outside of God, it will never be found in you. All he wants is for us to partner with him. We need to lay down our pride and fix our eyes on Jesus first. And then he'll take care of everything else. This is the first time in my life that I haven't been studying. I haven't been working towards you know any worldly goals and you know what this is the time where i actually feel the most free not thinking about the next step not thinking about my career and just i believe that this is 
God has really appointed that time for me because now I can freely serve the church and freely serve the youth and freely serve him. And this is a big step um, leading the young adults group. And I know that if I had been at uni, if I had been concerned about my career, starting a career, I could not adequately serve the youth as well and the young adults. So praise God that. He's got my past set straight. Um, I'm just going to invite the worship team up. And I just have a few words of knowledge. Obviously, if you have areas of compromise that you need to pray, that you need prayer for, I hope that you'll come out and that we'll minister, and then we can minister to you. If you need that revelation of fire and awe tonight, come out and we want to pray for you. And I had a dream earlier this week, and I believe that this is a symbolic dream for us as a church, um, I had a dream that my teeth all fell out, but they were, it was really strange. It was held on, held on my string and, but they all fell out, but I was trying to put them back in and I was like, God, what is this? It wouldn't leave me. I had to find out what it meant. And then I went and did research and dreams about teeth are to do with wisdom. And I believe that this is a word of knowledge for someone that needs wisdom for whatever choices they need to make next in their life. Um, if you need prayer for that, pray, um, come out and we'll pray for you. Um.